Hey, faithful listener, welcome to season six of the Bible Explained podcast, the podcast where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and enjoy today's discussion from the book of Acts. My dear friends, I don't know if you noticed, but the episode that I am recording today should have been done on Tuesday. And the episode I did on Tuesday should have been done today. (laughs) Somehow I missed an entire portion of scripture and just continued on to the next chapter, not paying attention to where I was. So I'm very sorry about that. I'm going to blame uh, both Labor Day and the vacation that I had last week. Apparently I got too comfortable taking days off and um, just not paying attention to what I was doing. So sorry about that. So we're going to go back in time and we're going to talk about Acts chapter 5, even though we already started talking about Acts chapter 6. But today I'm going to be reading Acts 5 verses 27 through 42, once again out of the WEB version of scripture. But just so that we're all on the same page, I'll do a quick recap of Acts chapter 5. Acts 5 was where the apostles were gaining a lot of honor among the people. They were very popular and they end up getting arrested because the Pharisees were actually very jealous of the apostles. So they bring them in, they arrest them and they hold them overnight. But it turns out this angel opens up the door and tells the apostles to go back into the temple and preach some more. (laughs) And so that's what they do. They go out into the temple and they keep on preaching. And so the Pharisees decide to hold a court. And so they call for the apostles to come up and the apostles are no longer in the holding cell. And they're just like, what the heck happened? And so somebody tells the Pharisees that the apostles are back in the temple, still preaching like they were before. And so the Pharisees were flabbergasted, and that's where we left off last time. So now uh, they bring the apostles back in, and so that's where we're starting today. So let's go ahead and read Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 42. I'll be reading out of W.E.B. When they brought them, they set them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, Didn't we strictly command you not to teach in this name? Behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you killed, hanging him on a tree. God exalted him with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel and remission of sins. We are his witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. But they, when they heard this, were cut to the heart and were determined to kill them. But one stood up in a council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, honored by all people, and commanded to put the apostles out for a little while. He said to them, You men of Israel, be careful concerning these men, what you are about to do. For before these days, Theodos rose up, making himself out to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves. He was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of enrollment and drew away some of the people after him. He also perished, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered abroad. Now I tell you, withdraw from these men and leave them alone. For if this counsel or if this work is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it and you would be found even to be fighting against God. They agreed with him. Summoning the apostles, they beat them and commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They therefore departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for Jesus' name. 
Every day in the temple and at home, they never stopped teaching and preaching Jesus, the Christ. So the early church is really beginning to grow. Tons of people are believing in Jesus. Peter and the other apostles are doing and performing miracles. And they have a lot of honor among the the congregation at that time. And they were doing a very public ministry as well. So they weren't hiding anything. They were being very open and public about this ministry. And so, of course, the Pharisees begin to notice the early church because first and foremost, they're basically meeting in the temple. (laughs) And, you know, the early church is taking like all the mojo away from the Pharisees. So they're getting kind of mad. So that's why they started targeting the apostles. So they bring the apostles in again after the whole thing of the angel, like letting the apostles back out into the temple and they're like preaching all over again. They bring them back in and they bring them in without any violence whatsoever. And I can imagine the apostles are probably like, well, God got us through this once yesterday, so he'll get us through this again. And so they stand in front of the council is what it says. And the high priest is there. Now, whether this high priest was Annas or Caiaphas, but it's actually just Annas behind the scenes. I don't know. We do know from history that there was a lot of corruption with the high priest at this time period. But the high priest is there and he questions them saying, didn't we strictly command you not to teach in this name? So in other words, in Jesus's name, behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. So here's what's really interesting about this statement. If you go back to Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus is just about to be crucified, Pontius Pilate is very uncomfortable with the whole thing. And so he brings a bowl of water out and he starts washing his hands. And he says, I am innocent of this man's blood. And he says to the entire crowd that wants to put Jesus to death, he says, it is your responsibility. And so it says in verse 25 that all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. And we find out from another gospel that the Pharisees were were inciting the crowds to actually say this, that Jesus's blood would be on their hands. And now all of a sudden in Acts chapter five, they're not so happy that Jesus's blood is on them anymore because they say, you have filled Jerusalem with this teaching. You intend to bring this man's blood on us. <laughs> But that's literally their own words. That was what the Pharisees wanted. That's what the Pharisees said. And uh, they were confident about that way back in, in Matthew chapter 27. But all of a sudden, they're not so confident about it now that the apostles are preaching that Jesus has risen from the dead and that his his death was the responsibility of the Israelites, the Hebrews at this time period. So the Pharisees are very angry. They're like, don't teach in Jesus's name. We strictly told you this. We threatened you. And now you're doing it again. And you're trying to bring this man's blood on us. So Peter and the apostles answer, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you killed, (laughs) hanging him on the tree. So I just love that they don't they don't back down. They don't back down at all. They're just like, well, yeah, you did kill Jesus and uh, his blood is on you. God exalted him with his right hand to be a prince and a savior to give repentance to Israel and remission of sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So it's really cool that the apostles are actually uh evangelizing to these Pharisees that are that would rather put them to death, you know, for 
for preaching in Jesus's name, but the apostles are so emboldened by the Holy Spirit that they're actually preaching salvation to these Pharisees. It's actually interesting how often the gospel gets preached to the Pharisees over and over and over again from the very beginning. There's actually an entire chapter dedicated to the Pharisees where Jesus was preaching to them. He's like, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And there's like an entire chapter dedicated to how the Pharisees went wrong and that they need to repent. God loves everybody. He loves every single human being that he created, which is all of us. And so he loves the Pharisees too. And God continually tries to pull people towards him. The Pharisees are getting chance after chance after chance to repent and turn toward Jesus. And they're just not doing it. They refuse to do it. So they hear the gospel message being preached to them that Jesus is the Messiah, but they don't want to hear it. It says they were cut to the heart and were determined to kill them because of this thing that was being preached to them. The last time this phrase is mentioned, cut to the heart, it was when the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost and gave the, the apostles and the disciples the um, gift of tongues. And they went into the city and were proclaiming Jesus in all these different tongues that people could understand, in all these languages, rather. And it says that the people, when they heard this, this miracle being done, they were cut to the heart. And 2,000 people ended up becoming Christians because of it. So I guess there's two different ways to be cut to the heart. You can be cut to the heart and you can realize the immense uh, negativity of your sins and how much you need a savior. Or you can be cut to the heart as these Pharisees were. But this type of cutting to the heart was different. They were determined to kill them. So they almost had this like deep aggression that like stemmed from their heart that they wanted to kill these apostles for proclaiming the message and the gospel of Jesus. So it says that they were determined to kill them, but one stood up in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law honored by all the people and commanded to put the apostles out for a while. So this guy Gamaliel, he was a Pharisee. It says he was very well known and honored by all the people. And so he stands up and he gives this little monologue here. You men of Israel, be careful concerning these men, what you are about to do. So he says, think about what you're about to do before you kill them. And then he goes on to mention some historical figures that tried to cause a rebellion in Israel. The first one is Thaddeus, Theodos, I'm sorry, Theodos, it looks like. And then also this man, Judas of Galilee. Now, these two guys are actually mentioned by the historian Josephus, interestingly enough. So Theodos, it says, rose up, making himself out to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves to him. But he was slain. So he was killed. And all as many as obeyed him were dispersed and came to nothing. Then after this, another guy, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of enrollment and drew away some people after him. He also perished and all as many as obeyed him were scattered abroad. So so Gamaliel, the Pharisee, stands up, gives this monologue and mentions these two men that caused a rebellion beforehand, but how they came to nothing. 
and their ideologies came to nothing. The people were scattered. The two men died somehow. And uh, everything was well and good. And so then he ends this speech by addressing the council. He says, I tell you, withdraw from these these men or the apostles and leave them alone. For if this council or this work is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. And you would be found even to be fighting against God. And it turns out that the council and the high priest actually like what this Gamaliel has to say. And they agree with him and they're just like, you're right. Let's leave the apostles alone. But before we do that, we're going to beat them a little bit, whip them, and then they can go out and do their thing. Now, was Gamaliel speaking a prophecy or was he speaking of self? Just because something becomes popular doesn't mean it's of God. And you can see that with the Pharisees, actually, the Pharisees were very popular in their time period. But I don't necessarily think that the Pharisees were of God, just as many movements become very popular. But that doesn't mean they are of God. They have to be in line with scripture. And that's something that Gamaliel isn't even thinking about. He's not even concerned with whether or not the apostles are speaking truth, with whether or not they're speaking scripturally. He doesn't say any of that at all. He's only looking at the outside appearance of these apostles. And so he says, you know, if this isn't of God, it's going to be overthrown. So we don't even need to worry about it. It's not going to gain any amount of popularity. But like I said, that's not always the case. This is kind of a prosperity gospel kind of ideology. I think that Gamaliel is preaching here that if something is is of God, he's going to bless it and it's going to get very, very popular. But like I said, that's not always the case. I mean, just look at all the small churches across America. My husband and I just took a trip, actually, to like the middle of nowhere. And <laughs> and uh, we went on a lot of trails. But one thing that was very shocking to me, actually, was how few churches were in the area that we were staying in. Very, very small, very few churches in the area. And it kind of shocked me a little bit. And even the churches that they did have very small congregations. But I would never say that just because those churches are small, that they are not working in God's plan. I wouldn't say that. I'd have to hear their preaching first. <laughs> I'd have to hear if they uh, line up with scripture before I say anything like that. But just because something is small and God doesn't allow it to go viral or whatever doesn't mean it's against God. So this is kind of like a, a prosperity gospel kind of teaching. But one thing that Gamaliel did get right is verse 39. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. And you would be found even to be fighting against God. Now that is true. Out of everything that Gamaliel said here, that is the truth. If something is of God, nobody will ever be able to overthrow that thing. I mean, just look at Christianity. It has endured through the ages, through everything that anybody could ever throw at it, through persecutions of all other types of religions and ideologies and paganism. It has endured through everything. And Christianity is of God. We worship Yahweh. We worship God. And so Gamaliel here was correct that if something is from God, no man could actually overthrow it. Now, the rest of what he says here, I don't necessarily think that uh, he was correct. 
But he was at least right when it comes to verse 39. And he was also right that if the Pharisees were trying to overthrow something that was of God, the Pharisees would be fighting against God themselves. But the fact of the matter is the Pharisees were already doing that. They already fought against God by um, trying to put and successfully putting Jesus to death. They were fighting against God in their hearts. I mean, what does it say? They were cut to the heart and were determined to kill the apostles. They were fighting against God in their own hearts. But yet they didn't recognize that. They didn't see that. They didn't think that they were fighting against God because they were so prideful. They couldn't see what was going on in their own hearts. And Gamaliel doesn't even comment on that. He just says, you know, this movement, it'll die out because it's not of God and we won't have to do anything. Let's not put these uh, these apostles to death. So no, I don't necessarily think that Gamaliel was correct in all of this. I don't think that he was necessarily a Christian. I think that he was a, uh, a Pharisee that believed in the blessings of God for doing the right things, for being good, because the Pharisees were so motivated by outward appearances. And that's what they believed um, would get them close to God was their outward appearances. And that's what Jesus said. He said, the Pharisees are like whitewashed tombs. They look pretty on the outside, but the inside is full of rottenness and dead man's bones. <laughs> Jesus himself said those exact words to the Pharisees. So this is just more of Pharisee teachings. I mean, Gamaliel was just uh, reiterating everything he had been taught. So no, I, I do not believe that Gamaliel was a a Christian. Um, I just believe that he was a Pharisee. <laughs> However, God used him. He used Gamaliel to protect the apostles because the Pharisees and the council members here that wanted to put the apostles to death listened to Gamaliel and were like, you're absolutely right. We're going to leave the apostles alone after we beat the crap out of them. And so they beat the apostles and we don't know how hard that they beat them. We don't know what they did, but they once again just threatened them and commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. So the apostles were actually excited. It says they departed from the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for Jesus's name. <laughs> they were genuinely very excited that they got to suffer with Jesus. It actually says that we should rejoice in suffering with Jesus because we are becoming more and more like Jesus when we suffer in the same ways that he did. Now, of course, suffering is never easy. It's never fun to be persecuted or to suffer for believing in something that you believe in. But the one thing I can say to that is I used to be very, very afraid of persecution, like to the point where I wouldn't spread my faith to anybody. And um, I think that was a detriment actually. There's something rewarding about sharing your beliefs with somebody. It's almost like fulfilling a purpose. You are fulfilling the purpose that God has for you when you sit down with somebody and like share your testimony or your faith with them. And of course, spreading the gospel to every single person is our purpose. That is the purpose that God, that Jesus left for us before he ascended back up into heaven. He gave us all the great commission. We're all supposed to do it. So the, the disciples here are rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for Jesus's name. 
Now, I do believe that um, persecution is coming for Christians, not to scare you guys. But I don't think it's something we need to be afraid of, because first and foremost, God has everything under his control, just like he used this Pharisee named Gamaliel to get the apostles out of there. He was able to open the door of the cell before that to get the apostles out. He can get you out. And persecution is not going to crush us. That's what it says in um, 2 Corinthians. That's what Paul says. He says, we're pressed on every side, but we are not crushed because God's hand is so mighty. He can get us out of every single situation that could ever pop up. There's another, another verse I can think of. I can't think of the exact wordage, but it says something like, when God is on our side, what can mere men do to us? And it's true. God is so much more powerful than mere human power. So God can get us out of every single situation. But it is necessary to be prepared if and when persecution comes our way, because if we aren't prepared for it, we might cave to it. We might cave to the desires of the people around us instead of what God desires for us. So it's important to uh, remain resolute in your beliefs if and when persecution does come. And don't be afraid of it. Because first and foremost, it might not be as bad as you expect it to be. Because God can give you a like supernatural boldness to not be afraid of it when the time actually comes. It might just not be that bad, like as bad as you're expecting. But even if it is as bad as you're expecting, just know that God is on your side. He can do literally anything. He can get you out of every single situation. And even if he doesn't get you out of every single situation, you're going to be so rewarded in the end that you're going to be glad that you suffered those persecutions. Just as the disciples here were actually excited, they were even more emboldened to go and preach the gospel after this. They weren't afraid at all. Imagine having that kind of fearlessness. There was something I was reading in a book. I think it was Forgotten God. I've mentioned this book multiple times by Francis Chan. And one of the stories in there was a story of several people, several missionaries that were, um, I can't remember the exact details of it, but they were stuck somewhere where they were being severely persecuted and they couldn't get out of there. But eventually they did get out <laughs> and they all like met up for lunch a couple years later, all these missionaries that were like stuck um, being horrifically persecuted. And they were all like, we miss those days. We miss being missionaries over there and suffering like that because we had so much faith and I was like, that, that, that story like changed my perspective on things. I was like, yeah, you know, God can give us this boldness that we can even like be joyful during those times of persecution to the point where we don't, we don't actually realize how much we're suffering in the moment until we're like out of it. But um, yeah, so it says here, the disciples left the council after being beaten and threatened. And it says that um, they were rejoicing and every day in the temple... <laughs> And at home, they never stopped teaching and preaching Jesus the Christ. So they were persecuted, but yet they went out into the temple. Either way, they kept doing what they were doing in spite of the Pharisees, in spite of the council. They were publicly um, proclaiming the name of Jesus and the Pharisees at this point in time couldn't touch them. Well, faithful listeners, since I messed up this episode on Tuesday, 
we'll go back to Acts chapter 6 and start talking about um, the last portion of Acts 6. So sorry about that. Sorry that I messed some things up. If you haven't gotten a chance to see some of my old books, I've got four books that are actually out right now. Two of them are the Alive Coloring Devotionals, one for adult women and one for children so that they can do it together with their moms. The other one is the Adore Teen Girls Guide to Advent, which happens to be one of my favorite things that I have written. And that's my most recent. I came out with that book last year. And um, the holiday seasons are coming up, by the way. So you guys might need an Advent devotional for your teenage girls. So check that out. So those are all linked in the description of this podcast episode. But faithful listeners, I'll see you guys tomorrow. And until then, have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Happy listening and God bless. Thank you.